0: Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Sunshine Kim Rico. Today with uh, Bible scripture reading taken from Psalm 121, um, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your food sip. He will watch over you, will not slumber. Indeed, he will Oh the word. There's <laughs> the word of the word. <laughs> Good, morning. Good morning. My name is Alex and I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. I'm the new one. I can still say that, I think. I want to add my word of welcome to what was already said earlier in the service. Uh, I trust that even if you're here for the first time today, that you are starting to feel comfortable with us. And uh, also want to encourage you to stay afterwards and meet some people, have some lemonade. Let's pray. Lord God, would you open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, So that as the scriptures have been read and as your word is proclaimed, we might hear and receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About a year ago, I walked the Camino of Santiago. In Spanish, camino means way or path, and Santiago refers to St. James. Since the 11th century, Christian pilgrims from all over the world have made their way across the north of Spain to the city of Santiago de Compostela, where the Apostle James is said to have been buried. So I would walk for 68 hours a day, and usually cover between 25 and 30 kilometres. As you probably know, walking is the slowest way to travel. But in our culture, we are addicted to speed. We want everything to be fast, to be efficient, and what I found as part of this experience of walking the Camino was that my life suddenly slowed right down. It became incredibly simple, and I found each morning that after I'd walked for three or four hours, walking alone and in silence, that my mind and my heart would stop circling back to the usual preoccupations. It helped me to pay attention to God and to the world around me. Today we're starting a new sermon series for the summer. From now until Labor Day, we'll be delving into some of our favorite psalms. And we trust this will help you to slow down over the next two months as we learn from these prayers, these poems that we call the Psalms. It's also going to help you get to know our pastors here at Knox as various members of our team take a turn. And so we invite you to ponder these passages along with us. And one great way you could do that is by memorizing a psalm. And so we're hoping that everyone at Knox will memorize at least one psalm before we get to September. Maybe, maybe you don't actually have a favorite psalm at the moment. You couldn't identify one. Well... This is the summer to acquire a favorite psalm. Can we do that? Could we memorize a psalm? Tamika, give me an amen from the gallery. All right. Yes, we can. We can do it. So there'll be more about that in the weeks ahead. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 121. Now, this psalm comes from a collection of 15 psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And they run from Psalm 120 to 134 in the Book of Psalms. They're written for people like us, people on the move, people who are going through transitions, people who are dealing with all sorts of things in our lives, change among others. Now there are lots of psalms of praise in the Book of Psalms, psalms that portray God's glory and majesty, There are only slightly fewer psalms of lament that give us words to express our pain, our doubt, and our anger, even. But these psalms of ascent are special. They're songs for the road. They're intended to be sung in the company of others, in the company of God's people. And they deal with the challenges we face in our lives. And invariably, they point us back to the big picture of God's story. Eugene Peterson writes about these psalms of ascent in his classic book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And as he's introducing them, he distinguishes between tourists and pilgrims. He says that sometimes we're tempted to approach Christian faith like tourists. We crave highlights and shortcuts. We don't want to take the time to slow down. We want what we want, and we want it immediately. We will not wait for it. We want a photo opportunity, and then we rush on wherever the crowd leads us. The pilgrim sees things differently. She is clear and calm about where she's going, her one destination, and she values the time it takes to get there as preparation. The pilgrim focuses on that one thing, and she will not be distracted from it. That one thing was Yahweh for the people of Israel. Yahweh, the personal name for their God, and it was the worship of Yahweh at the temple in Jerusalem. Three times a year, faithful Jews would travel to the holy city for the main festivals of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would ascend. They would walk up. Jerusalem was the highest city in the land, and so these pilgrims would walk uphill and they would sing and they would let the words of these psalms sink in and fill their imagination. We often need help as we're going through transitions in our lives. And I think Psalm 121 is particularly good for that. This isn't a pilgrim psalm only for people who have eight hours a day to walk in the Spanish countryside. No, it's a psalm for busy, stressed-out people who live in the city. And it's a call back to the focus that comes with pilgrimage. It's a reminder that we are called to peace and that God has given us resources so that we can live our lives in peace, even when on the outside they mostly look hectic and busy. So we're going to look at this psalm in three parts today. First of all, the question... Which is raised in verse one. Secondly, the confession in verse two. And finally, the keeper, who is highlighted in the rest of the psalm, verses three to eight. We start with a question Where does my help come from? In other words, how am I going to make it? But even before that, the psalmist lifts his eyes to the mountains. Why would he do that? Well, maybe simply because mountains are beautiful. They're majestic. They always draw our attention. Pastor Natasha reminded us yesterday in her reflection that went out with the weekly announcements, if you're on that email list, that God's creation awakens our hearts to wonder. We do well to get out of the city and into it as often as we can. But on top of that, mountains have often been regarded as spiritual destinations. We talk about having a mountaintop experience. We marvel at their colossal size. They inspire a profound awe in us. They overshadow us. And so we're reminded of our smallness, which is good for our souls. But it's more than that. The psalmist isn't just enjoying the view here. He's also doing what people did in that part of the world not long after the Israelites arrived in the Promised Land. He is looking for practical help. At the tops of hills and mountains, you found pagan places of worship that dotted the countryside. They were everywhere. So there were shrines and temples to a wide range of gods. Gods who offered relief from every ailment, protection against every threat. And life was more precarious back then, so people wanted that reassurance. If you were traveling, why not offer a sacrifice to the God of the sun and get an amulet to bring you luck, luck against the scorching heat of the day, against the danger of running out of water. In verse 4, where it says that God watches over his people, that he neither slumbers nor sleeps, The psalmist is drawing a contrast there between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Baal, a Canaanite god who frequently passed out after drinking too much and was then no use to anyone, even his followers. Baal also took countless siestas and was generally away for the whole summer. So you were pretty lucky if he was on duty when you needed him. At a deeper level, looking to the mountains, refers to the attempt on the part of all of us to find salvation apart from God. It means turning away from God. It means not trusting him. But this psalm is a psalm of reorientation to God's reality. Reading and praying and perhaps memorizing this psalm brings us back to his truth. In that moment when we're about to turn away from God and look elsewhere for help, When we check our horoscope and begin to take it seriously or even trust it. Or when we reach for that glass of wine or beer thinking, I need a drink. When we crave the effect of alcohol or food or shopping or sex. Not as God intended for us to enjoy those things, but desperate for the buzz. When we depend on the approval of people in our lives, maybe our parents, our supervisor at work, our teachers... When we let their expectations, or even more deeply, our own longing for success start to control us. Or when we spend countless hours in front of our screens, disengaged from other people, disoriented from God's purposes. At those moments, Psalm 121 wants to break through to us and raise this question. It practically shouts, hey, where does your help really come from? And then the psalmist answers his own question immediately. It's his confession. Now, we might normally think of confession as admitting something we've done wrong, something bad. But the original meaning of the word confession was the acknowledgement of what is true. A confession of faith is a good thing. The psalmist here confesses or acknowledges that his help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, we don't know how much time elapsed in his life or how long it may have taken for him to travel from his question to this confession. I'm guessing it was a long and winding journey. Most of us can relate to that, I think. But let's be clear that the goal is to be confident about our faith and to have peace and certainty that can enable us to say, my help comes from the Lord without hesitation to not be held back by our doubts and our questions. I'm finding just over a month now here that Knox is a community where we travel with each other, where we listen to one another and bear each other's burdens through questions and doubts of all kinds. We are open to hard questions and we welcome skeptics. At the same time, we do not celebrate doubt or confusion. The psalmist wants to give us direction. He's rebooting our navigation system, and he makes it crystal clear. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what we proclaim every Sunday when we gather for worship together. We cannot get the help we truly need from anywhere else. Only the one who created the whole universe can help us like that. As beautiful and yes, majestic as the mountains are, they cannot and they will not help you. They remain silent. But we're constantly tempted. We're tempted to find our worth and our help in created things, even to worship them. Whether it's our wealth, our possessions, our beauty, our style, intelligence, our moral uprightness, that we're a good person, the way we work so hard, your family, your network of friends. These are all good things, but our true help, our ultimate help, only comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he helps us as we come to know him, to grasp that, for that reality to sink into us. Every other apparent source of help is only a reflection of his ultimate help. Psalm 121 has been close to my heart over the past year, as I've gone through a season of transition with my family. This was my Camino Psalm. I read it, I prayed it every morning, and little did I know in the spring of 2022 that it was preparing me for some coming and going that neither my wife Judith nor I had anticipated. In the spring of last year, my sole focus was on recovering from the stress of the pandemic as we finally started to emerge from from out of it. And in my mind, I was positive that I was not going anywhere. But that summer, I got a call from your interim moderator and another journey began. The Holy Spirit showed me over the months the path that he had for me, and he did that in various ways, including through trusted friends and mentors. Did you notice how this psalm began with the first person? I lift my eyes. My help. But then it switches to the second person. He will not let your foot slip. He will watch over you. And so this psalm presents itself to us as a kind of conversation, a dialogue between two people. Pilgrimage is not an individual experience. Even though when I was on the Camino, I mostly walked alone, one of the best parts of the experience was meeting other people, often in the pilgrim's hostels in the evening. Few of them were Christians, but when I asked why they were doing the Camino, they almost all said it was spiritual, at least in part. They were asking questions about their lives, about what really mattered, about changes they wanted to make, often with how busy they were, how they didn't have time for the important things. They were all of them looking for something better. Who has God put in your life right now so that you can encourage them in a season of asking the question, where does my help come from? Verse 4 says that God watches over Israel. Our journey of faith is always together, together. It's always within the framework of Israel, within the framework of the new covenant community that we have been chosen and called into. The Lord brought us together. He keeps us going. He and only he will keep us together as the church. From the question to the confession, we come to God as our keeper. Now this word keeper is repeated over and over. The NIV translation that we read from uh, doesn't highlight, highlight that quite as well as some other translations, but here in Psalm 121, God is called our keeper six times. He keeps watch over us. He keeps us safe. He keeps us when we stumble through some mistake we've made, some sin in our life, or some challenging circumstance. In verses five to six, we read that he keeps us when the sun threatens us And that's a reference to literal hardship because the sun kills people in the Middle East. But it also refers more generally to the adversity we experience in our lives. And so the Lord protects us from the sun when our health starts to fade, when we get sick like we never expected. The Lord also keeps us when the moon threatens us. And that is not literal. In the ancient world, the moon was seen as the source of emotional problems. Anger, despair, depression, mental health challenges. The words in English, lunatic and lunacy, come from the Latin word for moon. So these are disorders, cognitive, emotional, and other kinds. The Lord... Remains close to us. He keeps us near through all those challenges and when our loved ones go through them. Our Heavenly Father isn't offering us amulets of protection. He isn't providing good luck. God doesn't offer us immunity from the troubles of our life. He doesn't promise to take us away from all that. But He does keep watch and He promises that nothing can ever separate us from His love. The opposite of keeping us would be losing us. We talk about losing someone, and it's a euphemism for death. I'm sorry for your loss, we say. But in Christ, we have the fulfillment of verse 7 of this psalm, of the Lord watching over our lives. In Christ, we are found, and we can never again be lost. When I visit someone in the hospital, or at hospice, there is one passage in the New Testament that best sums up God's promise to keep us, to never lose us. Paul says in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those words fill the Christian with hope like few others can. What would you say right now in your life is the thing that feels like it could separate you from God. Psalm 121 is given to you as a gift today, as a promise that it will not, that you are inseparably united with Jesus. We are constantly coming and going. Even if you're not anticipating change in your life right now, it's coming. But God remains the same through all of that. In our transitions, we're sometimes tempted to think back to how much better things were in the past, or maybe to project ahead to some future fantasy life that we imagine. Instead, God invites us to trust him in the present with whatever we're going through right now. And at times, we wonder if God is really with us. When our plans don't work out, when we suffer some hardship, we start to wonder if God is the God he claims to be. Calvin describes it well, I think, in his commentary on this psalm. He says, even when we seem to have largely experienced what this protection of God implies, we yet instantly tremble at the noise of a leaf falling from a tree, as if God had quite forgotten us. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I know for me, it doesn't take much a leaf falling from a tree. When we look to the mountains, we show that we're prone to wander. We sang that earlier. We are prone to leave the God we love. But he remains. He remains as the keeper who keeps faith with us even when we abandon him. And that is why he sent his son Jesus to show us his love and to really rescue us once and for all. When I was walking the Camino, I saw people struggling with fatigue, with, with bad shoes, with blisters, with some really actually disgusting problems with their feet, with sunburns and heat exhaustion. And then at the end of the Camino, I saw them arriving in the city of Santiago and I saw the joy, the elation, as they reached their goal. But Jesus gives us the hope of a far better homecoming, and he gives it to us both now and forevermore. He gives us the hope of resurrection. There are struggles and difficulties we all have to travel through, and the most terrible of those is death, the separation beyond every separation. Because we are designed, we are created by God for eternity, to have life now and forevermore. But Christians believe that death is the consequence of sin and that our choice to turn away from God is what led to the brokenness of our world. Christ came into that suffering, and now he walks with us each day like no one else can. Jesus went to the cross to fulfill the promise of verse 7 that the Lord will watch over your life. The consequence of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is how this amazing psalm ends. In all the busyness, confusion, and sometimes the chaos of our lives, the Lord promises to keep us, not just now, but forever. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore.